This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have watched people give up their entire, I'm not kidding, give up their right to have relationships, to have children, give 15 years of their life to a dog who for whatever reason cannot fit in society. And so they stay in their home alone with their single dog until the dog dies. And life has to be more than waiting for your dog to die. You're listening to How To, a show where we tackle life's toughest challenges alongside our listeners and the wisest people we can find on the planet. I'm Amanda Ripley. Today, we're diving back into our conversation about coexisting with your furry family members, especially when things get a little rough. Last week, we talked about some smaller but still seriously frustrating issues like excessive barking, and we collected some really refreshing advice about simple fixes that can make life for you and your pet a lot easier. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, definitely check it out. But today, we're going to dive in the deep end of the doggy pool. What if you've tried everything? Working with professional trainers, consulting your vet, even seeing a massage therapist for dogs. This is a real thing, by the way, as we learned in our last episode. And you're still at a breaking point. And what if you're a renowned dog expert who's supposed to have all the answers? The stress of trying to organize your life around a being who has almost impossible needs, I would say I have PTSD as a result. This is Denise Fenzi. She's helped train thousands of dogs and their humans online and in person. But two years ago, Denise brought home a new puppy and found that nothing worked. The dog had always had reactive behavior towards dogs from the time he was three months old. It was extreme. He started to show... um, aggressive behavior directed towards people. My own family was not comfortable with my own dog. I realized that nobody could come in my house without a rather extensive, you have to text first and and the dog has to be on this side of the gate. And this is a big, powerful breed of dog. We can never have an error in this house. By error, you mean like leaving the gate open or something? Uh, yes. Uh, If the gate got left open, he also had separation issues. I have literally not left my house without this dog for more than two hours. There's one exception. When my my father went into the emergency room, I left for three hours. After a year and a half, Denise finally had to accept that the situation wasn't working for anyone. And two months ago, she gave the dog back to the breeder. I think it would be fair to say it is the most difficult decision I have ever made in my entire life. 
These days, dogs are treated less like pets and more like family members in a lot of places, which is great when it works, but it also makes failure that much more painful. In this episode, the second in a two-part series on difficult dogs, we're gonna focus on training the human. How do you handle a dog that's no longer safe to be around other people? It's something we don't talk about enough, but it affects way more people than you might think. Stay with us. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Like nothing is going to teach you as much about having dogs until you have a problem dog. The other person in our conversation today is Simone Yetch, inventor, YouTuber, and huge dog lover. In last week's episode, Simone was struggling with her new yap-happy dog, Scraps. <coughs> Barking is one thing, but Simone is also haunted by a previous dog she owned that had far more troubling behaviors. When I was 20, I got a uh, American Staffordshire puppy with my ex, and uh, so like a, a fancy pit bull. And we were very, very engaged dog owners. Like we took every puppy class. We really like had a blast raising this dog. But I remember when he was seven months, one of my friends came over to the apartment and he barked at her, which is fine, not ideal, but he wouldn't stop barking at her. And I was like, okay, seven months is like a common fear period. Puppies go through fear periods. But he just slowly got worse. And it's one of the toughest situations I've ever been in. Because, you know, a dog is always like, their needs are gonna run your life. Um, but what's different is when a dog's problem behaviors run your life. And like every time I knew somebody was gonna come over, I would get a pit in my stomach. And um, 
Yeah, he would like just jump up on random people on the subway and bark. And he was a big dog. And it got to the point where I was like, he's he's a danger. Like he's going to hurt somebody. And he jumped up and grabbed the sleeve of a guy who was just passing by. And that was the first time that he'd actually like bit down. And that was when... Um, yeah, we uh, decided that we couldn't. It, w- it wasn't safe to have him. Simone tried everything before reluctantly choosing behavioral euthanization. She later talked about the experience of taking the dog to the vet, writing, He was nervous. I told him that it was going to be okay. It's a lie that still hurts. He was going to hurt somebody, and that's, you know, when you have big, powerful dogs, it comes with such a big responsibility, and it's... It's a, it's a situation I wouldn't wish upon anyone, you know, because you try. I know this is hard to talk about, Simone, and I really appreciate your sharing it. And I actually think that until we talk about this stuff more, it's just going to be taboo and stigmatized, and it's not good for anyone, right? Yeah. Because we all feel, I had a dog during the pandemic, didn't work out four months very, very difficult. And I still feel bad about it. And I still feel very, I walk down the street, same thing. When I see other dogs, I don't make eye contact because we had got all this training about like, you know, how to deal with aggressive dogs. And the thing is, you're right. Nobody talks about this. I think the fact that there are three of us having this conversation and all three of us have had uh, some version of this difficult situation says a lot. Uh, I will say that as something of a public figure, When I expressed privately to people that I was going to return my dog, you could feel the weight in the conversation of, oh, crap. Like the hit to my reputation, Hmm. to uh, positive reinforcement training, because people say, oh, see, that's a result. That's what you get if you don't use corrections. And at the end of the day, I stood back and I said, I am not beholden to social media. I am not beholden to my reputation. I am beholden to my family and my society. And I am going to do what is right. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, that decision comes way too late. I feel like in some of these situations, people have found themselves um, unable to make a decision that would, frankly, release the dog from a really uncomfortable situation and release the family. It's not a popular topic. And yet, I mean, the num- the shame that is wound mm. into this, when people send me private notes and say, I've never told anybody the story in my life. I want to talk to you because you, you sharing your story has made me feel better. And they tell me horrible things, you know, their dogs mauling their children. They tried, they did everything. They, they did all of the management. I'm working with a person now, uh, not professionally, just trying to hold her hand. She's pregnant. Her and her husband have lived their life around this dog for eight years. They have not slept in the same room because the dog tries to attack the husband in the middle of the night. Their entire existence is structured around this dog, and now they have a baby coming. It's these types of situations, little kids in the house or neighbors popping by, that owners try to plan for in order to prevent bad things from happening. But the truth is, you can't plan for everything. Management can fail. Management does fail. And uh, nobody really wants to talk about this because it's kind of ugly and and society can be so mean. The expression, um, it's all in how you raise them, that has to die. That expression has to be trampled out of existence. It is so 
unkind, so incorrect. Genetics is a thing. Yeah, it, it totally reminds me of how the pendulum has swung really far in the opposite direction with parenting too. Like I remember my kid was in daycare and we got called in to have a meeting about something he'd done. And the very first question was, is there anything going on at home that we should know about? And I was like mm -hmm. racking my brain because we are far from perfect, but this was not a particularly turbulent time in our home. And I actually really wanted there to be an explanation like, oh, I am doing this wrong. And therefore, if we just fix this, then the, the kid or the dog will start uh, doing what we want. And I hadn't realized how much the stress of living with a dog who, where's the dog? Every minute I knew, where's the dog? What's mm. the dog doing? I hadn't realized that he had used up all of my good bandwidth and that what was left over was not much for other people and for society. And frankly, I have two other dogs who were hurting because in my efforts to separate, they were suddenly not with me the way they used to be. And I hadn't even realized what a weight it was sitting on me. It cannot only be about the dog. In real life, we almost never get really good answers as to why things aren't working out with a dog. And that uncertainty just adds to the frustration and guilt that can accompany these failures. So our first recommendation is, as is often the case, to do the one thing that feels most unintuitive. Open up about your situation to people you trust. Don't withdraw into your own private misery. Be brutally honest with your vet or your trainer about the quality of life for everyone in your home. Don't censor yourself. And find other people who have been in similar situations. I actually wish I had done that, looking back on it. There's a group on Facebook called Losing Lulu. It is fantastic. It is for people who have had to use uh, behavioral euthanasia. The stories will break your heart. And the thing that is chronic, that just goes across all of the stories, is how hard people tried, how much they gave, how it changed their lives, how they don't want to get another dog, or they're having the kind of issues Simone does with huge levels of anger and resentment over having to make this choice. You know, having a dog that you work so much with and having, having to give up on a dog is so hard for... I mean, it's a traumatic experience in many ways, and that's like giving the dog up or, or having to put it down. But for me, it was also like, it was a, such a blow to my self-confidence as a dog trainer, because I've always thought of myself as somebody who's comfortable around dogs, who's good with dogs. And suddenly after I'd put him down, I noticed I was nervous passing dogs on the street because I knew how he would react in those situations. And I would be like super focused on the dog and be like reading their cues and being like, are they gonna jump up on me? And it took eight years where I was like, I'm not ready to have a dog again because I don't think I'm gonna be a good dog trainer to them. And I don't know, I mean, I failed so catastrophically with this dog and I tried everything. Like I threw the kitchen sink at trying to fix him or help him. And then it's the pandemic. I bring home this cute puppy that I get to spend five minutes in a playpen with. And they're all like, no, she's a sweetheart. She loves everybody. Um, I bring her home and she won't stop barking at my neighbor. And that has been so hard. What, what did that feel like when she starts barking? You must have, I'm just imagining you must have been like, oh my God, here we go. Right? Like all the narratives are playing. I mean... You know, people, we talk a lot about having dogs and people post about it online and it's all like, oh my God, I love my dog, how cute I am. Sometimes I feel like 
it's ruined my life, you know, because it's just really hard. And I'm like having a lot of resentment towards her as well. And because you're like, this is exactly what I didn't want happening. And I mean, I started going to therapy because I like, you had to like fill out like, why do you want to start therapy? And I'm like, so I can be a better dog owner because I feel like I'm so inadequate and I do like lose my patience with her. Okay. Oh, wow. There is so much here. This is a super widespread problem with people who have had prior dogs with challenges. It colors our ability to, um, to manage our own behavior. And um, I currently have a foster puppy whose job in life is to heal me because this is a fairly recent event. And I have realized mm. that very normal, small things, like one day the puppy growled at somebody in the distance and I almost had a panic attack. Just observing my own anxiety made me realize it was time for me to start putting some hardcore human coping mechanisms into place. And I did. So for example, my new rule is if the puppy does anything that makes me worry or get uncomfortable, I will reach into my pocket and drop a handful of food on the ground. And the reason I do that is it gives me a job. And if I have a job, then rather <laughs> than grabbing the leash and tightening it up and stressing out and making problems for both of us, if the dog shows discomfort, I need to solve my problem so I can solve his problem. You're training yourself in the same way you would train a dog. I, I am in training, yes. And yeah. so I throw yeah. the food down and I consciously push the leash forward so that I don't tighten up and pull back. Hmm. And then I'm okay because the dog's head drops to eat the food. And then that gives everybody a break. And just coincidentally, it's also a very good training technique because when dogs stare, they tend to escalate. So I am very good about choosing environments where I feel comfortable. Here's our next insight. You don't expect your dog to learn a new trick overnight, right? So give yourself time to learn new habits as well. Start by noticing your own internal reactions because animals really pick up on emotions. If you're anxious, chances are your dog will be too. So if you can't get out of an uncomfortable situation and you feel that old dread start to creep back in, lay on the treats to calm your dog and yourself. Coming up, how to find the right dog in the first place. Turns out it's weirdly like dating. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. We're back with trainer Denise Fenzi and inventor and dog fanatic Simone Yetch. I'm curious, how do you get your confidence back? Like... We talked about, I mean, I'm listening to Simone talk about how you feel this inadequacy and you're remembering, you know, the other dog and, 
and I just want to note here for the record that you are a an incredibly accomplished inventor and creator, and you basically built the Tesla truck before Elon Musk did. And so, like, it's not like you're incompetent <laughs> in other realms. So do either of you have thoughts on how to regain your confidence after having had some, you know, hard experience in the past? The one thing I will say to you, Simone, because you won't get this, you're not a professional trainer. I really can't tell you how many people have told me your story, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not you. It's not what you did. It's I get these floods of messages and the situations are so similar, it's almost eerie. And that's why I would encourage you to join a group like Losing Lulu, because then you won't Mm. feel alone, right? You will recognize that you have lots of company and it's such an uncomfortable topic. It's not like when we introduce ourselves to our new neighbors, you know, I'm Denise and I euthanized my last dog, right? We don't, we don't do that. Um, Mm. It's a, it's stuck in a closet. We don't talk about it. It's that weird, shameful thing. I just want you to know that you have so much company you can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. I think for me, like, yeah, talking to other people who've been through similar experiences and who are working with fearful dogs uh, has really helped. But also, I remember that, especially with my old dog, I kept on just just telling myself, like, I know that I'm good with dogs. At least I'm like, there's no neglect. Of course, I'm not perfect, but I am really trying my hardest, and that's everything I can do. Um But yeah, it's hard. I think the main thing I really like what you said, Denise, about like train yourself as well. And when you notice that you get anxiety or a tricky situation, try to find ways to manage yourself and take care of yourself as well, because that's a big part of it. And I think like, yes, we feed into our dog's emotions, but you also can't like it's not your fault. Kind of like how they talk in parenting about trying to be a good enough mother. You ever heard this line? (laughs) No. It's like a good enough uh, dog owner. Yeah, good dog enough person, is great. Right? We want it to be either nurture or nature. Yeah. And it's absolutely. very hard to hold both in your head. And, and to your point, Denise, know, know that there are limits to how much an animal can change. And accepting that you have rights. You have rights yeah. to be happy. Right. There's limits to how much I can change. Yeah. I mean, I know I like this train yourself. I, I think also treat yourself because I personally bring snacks for myself <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and I think that's as well like what I've what I've tried to think of is like how many hours a day can I be a good dog owner? And I'm right. like, 22 hours a day. I can be a pretty great dog owner, but 24 <laughs> hours a day, no. And then it's like, can I find somebody else who can take her two hours a yeah. day? 22 is pretty good. I mean, yeah, no, like but it's like, I mean, and I, I've, I've started working with a dog sitter who scraps loves and it's somewhere that I can like, it costs money, but I'm also like, instead of being like, why can't I be good all the time? Be like, right. how many hours a day do I, can I be good? How many days a week? And then try to find alternate solutions to give yourself a break as well, because we all love our dogs. But right, do we right. want to spend every moment of every day together with them? Sometimes not. Here's another reminder that you are human, not superhuman. That means you can aspire to be a good enough dog owner most of the day, but then you need a break. And sometimes that means leaving the dog home alone, which also, of course, requires training. Unfortunately, separation anxiety is a huge problem. It's huge. Millions and millions of dogs. And it really does take a systematic training approach. Um, I mean, there's little things you can do to make it slightly less likely when you get a dog to really right off the bat 
start leaving it uh, for super short periods of time. Like don't always bring it with you around the house. Make sure you go out at least in your garage for a few minutes and acclimate them to the idea that you're not going to be there 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, if your dog does have some true separation anxiety, it's a panic disorder and it's going to require uh, systematic sort of attention to uh, working on that. It's the non-fun part of dog training. This is mm -hmm. the part, because it's like, to me, it's really, I, I'm also, I have so failed uh, training Scraps to be alone. She's almost never alone. Because uh, she's, I mean, and even like, as we're getting out of the pandemic, she's still, she comes with me to the workshop, like she's always there. So I, I have very much slipped on it. And it's this thing, because you're like putting your dog through something that's uncomfortable for them. And you're trying to make it as palatable as possible. And it's like 20 seconds alone, and then three minutes alone. Um, but it's not fun. We do have more dogs in society with behavior issues than we did in the past. A lot more, actually. And there's some reasons for that. One thing that a lot of people don't know is there's actually a dog shortage in the United States. And I know that sounds really bizarre, especially with rescues and all. But the fact is there are not enough dogs because the spay and neuter movement was extremely effective. So, for example, where I live, they routinely uh, drive several hours to other parts of the state to bring dogs back because we don't have dogs mm -hmm. that are adoptable. It also means that dogs are adopted out that would not have been adopted out in the not too distant past. Dogs with bite histories mm -hmm. are now routinely adopted out. We never used to see that. 20 years ago, no dog was adopted out, even if it wasn't the dog's fault in any way, shape or form. But in many parts of the country, like on the coasts, there's actually a dog shortage. If you want to go to a breeder for your dog and you find a good breeder, a solid breeder who really cares, you should feel free to investigate that route. There's not just don't go to a puppy mill. Do not like go to a pup. Do not go to a pet store. There's if you're looking just some hallmarks of a good breeder, things you want to look for. Are the puppies being raised in somebody's home? How many litters a year are we talking? It should be one or two, not 10, right? Can you go and see them? You want to be able to visit and see the parents. Do they own both parents? That always makes me nervous because really good breeders use the best males, no matter where they are in the country. They don't use their neighbor's dog. Are they good pets? You want a good pet dog. It doesn't matter if it's a beautiful show dog. If it can't live in the house, go visit the dog. Can it rest? Can it relax? You know, is it social in the way you need it? It's really what you need. Those kind of questions will kind of help narrow the, the path. But really, if we keep up on this adopt, don't shop thing and don't start paying attention, puppy reels are going to go through the roof because right now there just aren't enough dogs. Here's our next recommendation. You can't single-handedly overhaul the country's supply, demand, and distribution of dogs, but you are in control of where you get your dog from. And when it comes to breed, be really honest with yourself about what type of dog fits your lifestyle. People choose dogs based on appearance, and I would really want to make the case for like, choose dog based on energy level. And this is not the time to lie about to yourself about how active you are. Because I could be like, I would love to have an Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie. Like I'm still dreaming about the, having a dog that I can do a lot of agility and sports with, but I'm like, I just cannot provide enough for a dog with that high of an energy and high mm -hmm. of a drive. So like, don't get a working dog if you're not gonna give them a lot of stimulation and or work with them. That's my rant. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, there's like, you're dropping some wisdom, both of you. And I, I it's and it's, it's funny because listening to you, I'm thinking about 
all the things that we did wrong, also the things we did right, and also the things that we couldn't have predicted, you know, um, there's, there's some chance, right? And there's some amount of this that, you know, you just don't know, because we visited the dog, he, he seemed great, everybody was great, yeah. and then you get him home, and he, he was really freaked out, you know, and he was mm. uh, aggressive towards, uh, particularly towards kids. And, you know, we tried so many things and it was just like, he didn't want to be there. You know, he couldn't yeah. settle. Like it wasn't the right. And, and then luckily the previous, um, his previous person took him back. Thank goodness. But as soon as we dropped him off, it was like, oh my God, he was like a different dog. He was mm. so happy. Oh. I'd never seen him this relaxed. And on the one hand, it's painful because it's like, what, what is it about us that we couldn't make him relax, you know, and we had all those, what are those things you plug in to create the pheromones, you know, (laughs) and little vests and outfits and amazing food. And it was crazy. Um, and nothing, he just couldn't settle. And, uh, and then we saw him there and it was like, right away, I knew it was the right decision. And I only wish that we had done it sooner, Mm -hmm. but you know, still, I feel like, you know, went to a dog adoption thing the other day and I was so like, anxious because it's like how am I going to know you know I'm not going to yeah. know and then if he gets home and growls at my kids friends I'm going to freak out like I'm going to melt on the floor like I don't know what I'm going to do but I hear you it's like not going to so be you good. also have that bit of trauma they're kind of hanging over you I would say just some general advice when people are going out and looking at dogs don't take home a dog because you feel sorry for it so the one that's hiding in the corner that looks scared I know your maternal instinct mm-hmm. comes out right that kind of oh I can save this one do not Do not go out looking for a dog that's going to be a project unless you really, really want a project. Because Mm. if you're already seeing that. Just like dating. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's that's a great analogy. Do not. Don't look for a project. Don't marry this person so you can suffer for the rest of your life. This isn't the time. (laughs) You're not going to fix him. (laughs) You want to look for something as middle of the road and normal. I mean, more energy, less energy. The Honda. The Honda of dogs. No Ferrari. Right. No Chevys. Don't don't go for those extremes there. You know, pick something really normal, like not crazy over the top, unless you have that energy yourself and you know you're going to be out there with that dog. Uh But do not bring home a dog because you feel sorry for it. I hear this all the time. Oh, he was so scared. He was looking at me from the corner. I felt so sorry for him. Nobody's going to want him. Do not lock up the rest of your life. Like you're going to be the hero. You're the hero. Yeah. Comes in and saves the dog's day. Yeah, I, that's good advice. Just like what Simone was saying. Don't pick them be just based on looks. Exactly. Like, this is also that's, like dating. That's oh my such, gosh. I think we could do such a great whole advice. <laughs> I love that idea though. Dating, uh, you try to get the best you can, the best match, and you should be able to find a dog with the temperament you want that has a look you like. It may not be your first choice, but you should be able to find it. Which I'm also curious. goes for partners. Yes. Like the yes. looks long-term, not going to matter that much because you, if you really <laughs> like them, you're like, okay. <laughs> exactly. It's hard also to see progress with your own dog. And I remind myself, I mean, I remember the first time we went to pick up food at a restaurant and she didn't bark at people coming out of the door and what a huge win that felt like. And now I'm like, I can bring her to cafes and nine out of 10 times she's going to be fine. A huge thank you to Denise Fenzi for her compassionate advice. We'll link to her dog training academy in the show notes. 
And we are so grateful to Simone Yetch for sharing her hard-earned wisdom. You definitely want to check out her amazing inventions for humans and for dogs on YouTube. And we want to hear from you. Have you had a difficult dog? What works? What doesn't? What new tricks can you teach the rest of us? Or just send us your cute dog pics. We'll take those too. You can always reach us at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's where you can also ask your toughest questions, and we might be able to help answer them on the show. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Kevin Bendis and Amber Smith. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.